Welcome to Back in the Field. My name is Carl. And my name is Arthi. And today we're talking about Johnny and Dora, the season finale. And we're talking about it with... Marissa Rothman of GiveMeMyRemote.com. Hey, Marissa. Hey, guys. So, um, for our audience who doesn't really know much about you or about GiveMeMyRemote, tell us a little about your, yourself and your site. Well, I'm, like you said, I'm Marissa. I'm an entertainment reporter. I've been doing this for nearly a decade at this point, and GiveMeMyRemote covers all sorts of television and only television, which makes things simultaneously much easier and much harder because there is so much great TV on these days. But I do a lot of interviews, occasionally do some reviews, recaps, etc. But yeah, interviews and breaking news tends to be the main focus of the site at this point. And as it's helpful, I love Brooklyn Nine-Nine, so I'm excited to talk about the finale with you guys. Yeah, yeah, I um, I actually remember, because Give Me My Remote launched in 2007? It launched in 2005. I didn't start with the site. I started, I actually am approaching my five-year anniversary with the site in June. I started in June 2010. But, uh, yeah, the owner of started the site in 2005, which is crazy to think it's been around for a decade. I was reading it as a fan when I was working at other sites, so I came to it a few years into the run. Yeah, I think I found it in 2007, because I remember reading Give Me My Remote when I was really into The Office, yep. and I came into The Office right when season three started. Yeah, Kath, Kath was very, very big with that, with that show, and it was amazing, because I loved the show as well. I, that's one of the reasons. I was friends with her, but then I was also was so excited to see what she was doing with the site and with The Office, because I mean, that show was so great, and it wasn't covered in the beginning the way it was, you know, season two, three, etc. So it was nice to see people kind of have like just genuine support for the show yeah i and i think that was exactly why i was reading gmmr was because like they were really the only outlet at the time covering like you said like really the only ones like doing the deep cover that i wanted yeah like every like every cast person got like a really fun interview and it was yeah so i when I saw you guys were doing stuff with Brooklyn Nine-Nine again, that was really fun for me. Because I was like, hey, I remember this. Like, heart eyes emoji, you know? Yeah, no, and I mean, that's kind of the thing that I've always tried to keep with the site, even though Taft no longer runs it. For me, I care. So I care a lot about television, and there's so much TV on that I really only cover the shows that I genuinely care about, because you can, anyone can write about anything at this point. It's so, it's so accessible. But if you actually care about a show, you can cover a show in a way that I think it shows. People understand if you love a show, and it, it is the apparent in the work, I feel. So I get excited to support shows that I believe in. And Brooklyn Nine-Nine was one that I saw that pilot and I just completely fell in love with. And it was so great from the start. Yeah, I mean, we kind of obviously have a vested interest in the show, <laughs> um, just a little bit. Uh, I actually have a really stupid question about TV blog coverage first. Oh, yeah. Sure. So, like... We have an expert. <laughs> um, so I assume all decisions about TV blog coverage are made in, like, a room with, like, cigar smoke and, like, very directional <laughs> lighting. Um, was there, like, one of those tense, like, war room meetings when shows started coming out that were clearly TV format but weren't ever showing up on TV? Like, Netflix originals, like, is this television? I mean... It was something I will say for myself because I can't speak for everyone else. But for me, I was it was hard to kind of figure out where the line of what television was because even before Netflix started doing their originals, there were a lot of you know web series. There were a lot of 
things that other outlets were putting out and be like, hey, well, this is our web series. Is this, can you cover it? And for a really long time, I had stuck by no. I'm like, it has to kind of be on television because there's so much television on that trying to add web series was a whole other mess. But once Netflix really started making an aggressive push towards scripted content and then you know, Hulu and Amazon and Crackles followed suit, you kind of can't ignore, especially when things like the Emmys are taking notice and are acknowledging it as television and as part of television. It, Netflix, in many ways, changed that game to the extent where you can't separate the web content from the things that are airing on our TV in the traditional mediums of channels. I think, I think some people are still a little bit cranky about it. I imagine there are some people. I mean, because realistically. It's added so, it sounds selfish, but it's added so much work. Because there used to be this thing where, yeah, we worked a lot. In the summer, there's Comic-Con and TCA, which is an incredible amount of work. But TV was mostly off. Like, USA and TNT had shows, and occasionally a couple of networks would throw it on, like, you know, City and Dance was a regular thing. But it, there wasn't heavy, heavy need for coverage in the summer. This past summer, summer of 2014, was the busiest summer I've ever had in my career because there was so much original content. Then you got uh, next in the next month in June for 2015, Netflix is debuting two seasons of television in one month. No, there's so on one day or something, right? In, in, two, in I think three days because Sense Eight is coming out. I think. God, I think it's June 8th, and then Orange is the New Black is maybe June 12th. So it might be like five days, but it's two seasons worth of content. And that's not including, you know, the summer CBS has Zoo and Extant and Under the Dome and their reality shows. Fox is having Wayward Pines and a bunch of their reality shows. And, you know, Bones is going to the middle of June. ABC is Astronaut's Wife and Wives and uh, The Whispers. There's so much content this these summers now that there's really no end and with Amazon and Net Amazon is releasing stuff but they're doing it in a more reasonable manner. Netflix is releasing basically a, a season of television every single month so it just never stops. So I think to some extent we're a little tired and maybe a little bit <laughs> would kind of wish they would slow down a little bit and also realistically it's going to be interesting to see how long they can actually go for because they're investing a huge amount of money into these products that are they're hoping people watch in that first month but yes it's not something it was it, there was not a war room but certainly there it seemed like there was a shift in perception of of what television was after netflix released like house of cards yeah what i found so i work for tour.com and tour.com does a lot of tv watching content and we used to do a lot of uh week by week uh, watch-alongs, which we don't do as much of anymore, partially because we are focused on book content because we work for a publisher, right. but also because we found that most people weren't following most of those most weeks. But you can't do a week-by-week -week rewatch for Daredevil. Right. You know, as much as Arthur wants us to do that this summer. <laughs> um, because everyone watches it all at once and at a different all at once. Yeah. You can only really write think pieces about it. And God, did people write think pieces about it? <laughs> no, I mean that's a, that's the thing. It's 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 kind of sad as someone who genuinely loves television. 
the Netflix model bums me out a little bit because it's virtually impossible to watch along with people. I remember last season, The Cast of Cards, I was watching it, and another friend who's a reporter was also watching it. We were watching it, and we were like three episodes apart, so we could never actually talk about the show. We were all both trying to watch it as fast as possible because we were very aware that, A, we might need to cover something, and B, spoilers were everywhere. But you just, you can't have a conversation. I think some of the beauty of television and of this medium is being able to have to wait that week and, you know, somewhat watch it together. Even if it's you're talking about it the next day or a day or two later, it's, we lose the waiting. And that's some of the fun with television. And so, yeah, I, I haven't finished Daredevil. I'm six or seven in. And I stopped watching last month when I realized... There's no way I'm going to be able to watch this in a reasonable time frame to even write about it. Because if I write about it next month, even though that would be about, I imagine, where it would have ended if it was released week to week, it's so far out of the actual release date that who cares? Yeah. So it's such a weird, it's changing the way we do our jobs. And it's going to be interesting to see how the industry evolves over the next couple of years to either embrace or reject the model. And it's it's crazy when that happens because like we had we had a we had my friend Katie who's been like in comedy and has been a television like avid watcher of TV like just as long as I have like just in the same way, and she used the phrase appointment television. Yeah, and it suddenly struck me how long it's been since I've heard that phrase used at all. Yeah, I don't know what that phrase means. <laughs> Do you want to explain this? Because I think you have a better uh, handle. Yeah, well, basically, appointment television means that you're watching it when it actually airs. Like, you're going to make a point to be at your TV, whether it's, you know, on ABC, Fox, CBS, CW, NBC, or right, when, right. when it's actually airing live. I mean, I think the closest thing we have right now is Scandal, because you see what those, that cast has done. And then they're one of the few casts that it feels genuine when they're live tweeting it. So if you're not watching it live as it's happening, you're either risking being spoiled on Twitter by the cast if you follow them, or you're risking everyone else in your feed tweeting along and ruining it for you. So it's it's the closest thing we have these days to a film in television where you have to kind of be there and experience it, or else, if you like the show, it's going to be just completely destroyed for you. I feel like Empire is turning into that, too. Yeah. It'll be interesting. I think that um, there's a lot more interest in communally watching on Black Twitter. So shows that prominently feature black characters are much more likely to like blackish is almost appointment television for this reason. Hmm. I always see my feed blowing up about blackish. Hmm. That's that's one I don't see, but I don't follow. I mean, I see scandal just like completely kill well, my well, timeline. Scandal is kind of transcendent of yeah. that issue, right? Yeah, but yeah, but it started there. You're right because yeah. all I first saw scandal being like just like my entire Twitter feed. When I started following, like, uh, the there's a group here in New York called the Creators of Color group, mm. and it's mostly, it slants African-American, which is great, because I get to meet a whole segment of, like, the world that I don't, because I worked in tech for a long time, I just didn't interact with that part of the community here. Right. Um, which sucks and probably speaks more about tech's problems, but that's... That's a secondary issue. But, like, once I started following, those friends that I met there, I start, started to just see my feed just become all scandal, all Shondaland for, like, several hours at a time. Um, but, yeah, it definitely, it, it, you're, I, think you're, I think you've got a point in that it's, it's like that. I, I feel like Mindy Project was kind of like that, too, for a little while. 
Yeah, I think Mindy Project, in my experience, on my feed at least, I feel like it was much more press, which is also systematic to why it's no longer on Fox. I feel like the most vocal people about Mindy were press people, and it was harder for people who are not in that kind of... In my experience, I didn't see as many non-press people tweeting about it, whereas I feel like something like Empire, something like Scandal you just, everyone, like, you just never know who is going to be tweeting about it, because it's going to be every single person you know, it feels like. Yeah. Hey, Carl, what happens in this episode? (laughs) In this episode... The season finale? (laughs) In the season finale, uh, Jake and Amy are working together to try to track a, uh, an identity fraud criminal who's got a computer full of social security numbers that he's trying to sell to China. Um, in the course of attempting to do this, the main thing they accomplish is they make out like a billion times. Uh, three. Most, they go for three. <laughs> yeah, that's like a billion. Most of the time for fakes, but then one time for reals. On the other half of the episode, oh, also in the van with them are Rosa and Boyle who are fighting over whether or not Rosa's going to go to a surprise party that Marcus is throwing, but it turns out to be awesome. Anyway, in the meantime... Holt is following up on last week's devastating success that's getting him promoted to a job he does not want by trying to blackmail Wunsch to let him stay. He deputizes, well I guess you don't have to deputize your sergeant, but he deputizes his assistant to go with the person who's already a cop, Terry, to steal a file which turns into a file cabinet which turns back into a file that contains a letter that once wrote because she's horrible. But then it all backfires and he has to leave. And we're all sad about it. Also, a vending machine died, which is, I think, the real victim in this episode. True story. Yeah. yeah. That's what happened in this episode of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. In no particular order. <laughs> well, actually, that was a great breakdown and an order. What are you talking about? Carl's really good at this. <laughs> a vending machine wasn't in order. Well, the cold open is... I feel like that's always written last anyway. It's fine. Or a year ahead of time. <laughs> Sometimes it is, in fact, a year ahead of time. Let's start with, I I really enjoyed this episode. Yeah. I, like, enjoyed the hell out of it. It's it's probably one of their strongest episodes in a while. Yes. Uh, it was really enjoyable. We'll talk about this more, like, maybe later in the episode, in this podcast episode, and definitely more next week in our, like, seasonal breakdown. But I think we'll we do better like judging it on its own merits than compared to like in a while. Yeah. Because it is legitimately a very good episode of Brooklyn Nine Nine. Mm-hmm. It plays with a lot of their strengths and it has a lot of great jokes and a lot of very touching character moments. It's structurally one of the things that we really liked. We talked before about how one of the things we love seeing on the show on, on Brooklyn Nine Nine the show is is all the plot lines touching. Yeah. And being this interwoven. Is, yeah, and I mean, like, in Charges and Specs, which was last year's finale, the... That, that was the peak of plot integration. Yeah. And, and this doesn't achieve that quite. No. Because, uh... Well, one of those plot lines in Charges and Specs just fully gets pulled into the A-plot and, like, shut. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in, in this episode, the, uh, Holt's plot never quite fully links up with the other plot, except for providing the impetus for the last makeout session, which, okay, that's a pretty 
tight integration, but they aren't like weaving in and out together as has was the case in charts and specs, for but, example. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I was. I do think everyone was on fire though. Oh yeah. Yeah, you said a couple steps ago that that it's the be- it's the combinations that we like. Like it's it's Jake and Amy, it's Holt, Terry, and Gina, it's Rose and Boyle. Like some of their strongest like matchups as well for each plotline. Yeah, they they definitely tried to go with what worked this episode. Yeah, and I mean you you liked it too a lot, Marissa. I saw your I saw your recap. Yeah, no, I mean, and it's a weird thing because I watched the episode and it's some comedies are so hard to preview unless you have an interview. And mm-hmm. be given the timing of upfronts and all that shenanigans, I wasn't able to make the the big FYC event they had, which was such a bummer. Neither were we. It's okay. I was so sad, and I heard afterwards like those donuts and deliciousness that I'm like, that's just everything about that is missing. That is sad. Um, but so when I watched it, I, I it kind of hit me that the really the only way to write about it was to write about it after the fact. And yeah, I thought like what you said, it was something where I, all of the character combinations just made me happy. I feel like we really hadn't seen a lot of the Rosa and Boyle dynamic in a while, and I didn't realize how much I had missed them being their weird, friendly self until you're seeing, I'm like, Roro? I'm going to be thinking Roro in my head every time I see that character for a good <laughs> amount of time, and it's probably going to make me laugh like an idiot, because she is not a Roro, even a little bit, but he was just so enthusiastic about it. I'm like, I wanted her to be that for him for, like, five minutes. Um, it's not a good nickname for her. It is a terrible nickname for most people. Let's be honest. Even 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 for people who are completely the opposite of her, I feel like Roro, I, yeah, it's just not a nickname for most humans. Um, but it, the dynamics just worked so well, and it seemed to tap into what made all of these characters great and what made all of them work well together. So I felt it was a really strong way to end this season. And I mean, it just led to some of the strongest work for them as actors as well. Like Andre, come on, that final scene of his? Oh, no, we we have to do all the hard work to get there. We can't yes. talk about that yet. I'm just, I'm just saying right now, I love that a lot. <laughs> I'm spoiler alert. Spoiler <laughs> alert. I love that a lot. But yeah, no, it worked. I want to start with Boyle and Roses. Like, I, I'm glad you were you were focused on that because I don't think I don't think we we've seen them paired up for like a plotline that got a lot of attention since Beach House, maybe. Yeah, it's been a while. Um, yeah, for and for us, that's like January. I mean, but I mean, it's it's been that it's either been December or January since I saw that episode. It's been a while. It's been a really long time, and there's such an under. It's weird considering how much of a focus they were at points last season. They were so underused in this calendar year. Yeah, I think that a lot of the time that would have been devoted to Rose and Boyle being friends uh, was diverted to Rose and Holt. Yes. I'm not sad about that. Yeah. Their intense amount of pair-ups this season has been great. Um, I'm a little nervous about this because, like, the more they refuse to develop Marcus and have, like, Boyle be playing, like, backup for their relationship, which has happened at, like, every step, the more I think they're trying to sell us on them as a couple. 
Yeah. And I won't have that. That's, I'll burn them down. <laughs> that's that. It's funny you mention that because that's exactly what the AV Club's finale review said. The AV Club, across reviewers, has always hated Boyle. <laughs> Or just been, like, very negative about him, yes. Well, the first season reviewer hates Boyle. Oh, that... I don't think LaToya hates Boyle, but, no. but she's not his biggest fan. No, I mean, she she said exactly that, which is that with Marcus having all of the personality of a towel. <laughs> and that's not her direct quote, but that's what she's getting at. Uh, she's like a stunt double. <laughs> he, really, he really could be. Yeah. For all the... All, all we know about Marcus is that Rosa likes him. Well, with this, today we learned that he apparently has a fuck ton of money for someone who was living in his uncle's like apartment for a little while, yeah. because like he rented an entire bar yeah, that's not and cheap. brought in like Indian food or something. Yeah, there's definitely takeout boxes. Yeah. Whatever. Regardless, the AV Club's review is exactly that, which is that the less Marcus gets developed, the more Rosa and Boyles seems like a viable ship, which is scary. It's not. <laughs> fuck that. That said, their friendship is so precious. Yeah, so don't put sex in it. I'm pretty sure Dan Don't Gore... get in the way of Gina. She'll kill you. <laughs> I am I am pretty sure, though, that... Because Dan Gore did an interview with HitFix, with Alan Sepinwall over at HitFix. Yes. And was saying that uh, that he, he, they, they're, they're very much like never say never, but probably never. Good, 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 good. Good, yeah, okay. I mean, I... I read that interview too. Alan is is so great at what he does, and I read that interview, and I was wondering that same thing because, especially when Marcus made the point to say that it was Boyle's idea to do a party this way, it kind of seemed like that might be setting a, a switch to be like, oh, I'm with this guy who I'm crazy about, but at the same time, he didn't know me. My friend does it in television tropes. That would kind of be where they'd be heading, but I kind of like if I mean, I I like if Brooklyn Nine Nine is subverting that a little bit and going with the unexpected and just letting them be their weird friend self. I think so. I think the saving grace of Marcus is I don't think Rosa would prefer that her partner know that much about her life and choices. That's fair. Which is more valuable than like a maid of honor, which Boyle can be. Yeah, he would love to be a maid of honor. (laughs) I mean, he would. I I was gonna say if you switch Rosa and Marcus's genders, um, it, that that dynamic makes a lot of sense. Hmm? Like traditionally in like dumb cop shows, like okay. the outside girlfriend has basically no personality aside yeah. from being very nice and pretty, it's true, and like relies on her. Like when you when when you flip the genders and think about this in the in terms of like the cop genre. Like this episode, that plot line makes it. It if if Rosa were a guy and Marcus was a woman, we wouldn't question the dynamic. No. Like, does that make sense? Like that. Yeah. I mean, that's that's our own heterosexism as a society. But like, also, I mean, I don't think I've watched enough cop shows to ingest this particular thing. Fair enough. I would I would probably not let that go, especially if it was someone equivalent to Nick Cannon and weird <laughs> career trajectory. I don't know who that would be. <laughs> I mean, Maybe Amanda I, Bynes, but with more problems. I mean, as someone who does watch a lot of procedural and cop shows, I would say that this is certainly not out of the norm in that sense. I would also, if it was not Brooklyn Nine-Nine in a comedy, I would be expecting the significant other to be killed in some kind of tragic way, but I feel like we're probably safe with that on Brooklyn. <laughs> Especially because it's Holt's 
nephew. I feel like we got some leeway of that not ending super tragically. <laughs> Hopefully. So, like, in a previous episode, Jake got hit by, like, three cars <laughs> and walked it off by the next episode. So I think things are fine. I think people are fine. Probably. I mean, Boyle did get shot. In the buttocks? Yes. No, no, not in the buttocks. That's not a thing. No, I, did, did you never see that movie? No. Okay, good. I don't know what movie you're talking about. Oh, the Forrest Gump reference. Oh, no. I've, I've never seen, done that to you? I've seen, like, no, you have. Okay, good. I've seen, like, a third of that movie. Okay. Which was, like, already seven hours. <laughs> it's a long movie, yes. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> I... What I did see was Benjamin Button twice. So I've made some bad choices in my life. I haven't seen I mean, that once. Good, don't. <laughs> but do see Mad Max Fury Road. Okay, that, that's what I've been told. I've been told by a lot of people in the past week. Like Some have gone very aggressively like recommending that, so I apparently am going to have to get myself to a theater at some point. I won't get aggressive because I don't know you that well, no, but no, I'm going to say I'm going to see it again, and frankly, listeners, if you let yourself wait and not see this in theaters, you're doing yourself a disservice. Because it's a theatrical event. That's one of the that's one of the important points about this movie. Like you will appreciate seeing it in, in like on like a very large screen. So Marissa, one of the things you mentioned in your review was like how deeply uncomfortable the Holt Wunsch dynamic is. Oh, oh my god. Yeah. And like and I, I will say I wanna talk about it about some of my like hopes, dreams and wishes about it for, for next week. That dynamic is so deeply uncomfortable, and I was really glad that Terry was like, "What is happening here?" I literally Makes said that, that Gina out loud. Would be like this, like porn for me. <laughs> Fucking Gina, weird. I, I I'm sorry, I missed what you said. No, I literally said, like, I'm thinking like, what is going on? I think that's what he said. Whatever the exact sentence he said was what I had said about two seconds beforehand. Because what the here's when the language comes in, what the fuck? Like, it's so uncomfortable. And it's mm-hmm. funny because it's comedy and a television show, but at the same time, it's, like, also super massively uncomfortable where if that was happening in real life... She needs to so go to prison inap- forever. It's so inappropriate. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, I mean, she's his boss, like, starting point, right? Yeah. Like, yes. And she is, I mean, she is intentionally manipulating his career to harm him. Right. Like... There's every reason she should be fired and never work anywhere again. Well, and there's the long-standing implication that the reason she's ruining ruining his career is because he's gay and won't sleep with her. Yes. Right. And but so there's no room for reconciliation here ever. Not now. No, they've written themselves to the point where it's like Holton Wunsch, like the <laughs> forgiveness might be an option, but it's not one that I, as a viewer, am willing to accept. No, like, I don't. Yeah. To be fair. What they did is interesting, but it, like, it cries out for a reckoning. Yeah. And I don't know if they're going to bring the reckoning. Because there's been zero repercussions for superior officers acting badly in the show so far. Nothing bad ever happened to Podolsky. Nothing bad ever happened to Podolsky. Nothing will happen to Podolsky. I mean, that's true to life, but that's depressing. Well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yes. I, I feel like it's... It's a double-edged sword because I think the awkward, uncomfortable tension between them is 
deliciously uncomfortable to watch as a viewer. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there's only so far it can go before it becomes a cartoon. Like, <laughs> it, it, and it's there. Like you were saying, there is no real room for redemption because at this point, even if she gets him his job back, which you know, whether she is the the focus of why that comes to being or not, it just it feels like there isn't as of now a place for her in the show if she's not his big, bad, arch-rival, etc., because they've written her in a way that could... I don't know how she'd ever be sympathetic. I don't see... Like, yes, I mean, if they'd... Perhaps if they'd written her slightly differently this season, it could have been something that she popped up every, you know, couple of years, and maybe there was an uneasy truce, but right now it just seems like she will always be this big, bad... <laughs> as big, bad as the show can have, at least. And I so, think... Yeah. I think there's a very real chance that... So, I see Holt as being basically the position of Admiral James T. Kirk, who really fucking hated being an admiral. Because okay. he never got to fly a spaceship and make bad decisions for it. Okay. Um, I think there's a very real chance that he wins out, and in a way that kind of, you know, banishes her like a demon, but, they can't, but a demon that can never be killed. Supernatural like he, style? Like, no, demonology <laughs> style. <laughs> I mean, you were, uh, that was for her, because she had carry on where it's unstuck in her head earlier. It's okay. true, I did. And, and it is so supernatural fault, I imagine. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was, I love, Supernatural's a show I love to make fun of at this point. Like, what oh. if he gets her, like, <laughs> Yeah, oh. <laughs> what, what if he gets her, like, the top job in Staten Island or something? Oh, Staten Island. See? And then she has to claw her way back from that to stab at him from Hell's Heart. With her little rat claws and cloven hooves. Oh yeah, God. a bunch of things about people's physical appearances in a totally professional manner. <laughs> Workplace comedy. Yay. Inherent dignity of humans. <laughs> this was so deeply uncomfortable. And, and I was really glad that the show finally had someone in narrative be like, this is wrong and this, weird. This is yes. fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. Because they were always, like, Holt's initial reaction when she, like, made out with him. She kissed him! Yeah, the show's fucked up. Was, like, I mean, the show knew it was fucked up. Right. But having someone else outside say that, you know. Yeah. It, it acknowledges that, that validates our feeling that this is fucked up. Yeah. Right. It's not excusing the behavior in any way. It's, it's acknowledging that it's, that it's fucked up and that it's something that everyone should be thinking as much. Yeah, and, like, I know that the Greg Daniels pedigree is all, like, or legacy, I guess, is, like, write yourself into a corner. And I'm just like, honestly, how do you come back from this? Not, not, uh, not Holt's, like, dis- like moving on, because that's... That's easy. Yeah, but, like, from the whole lunch dynamic... Of just how do you how is that? Gonna but be? I don't think they were writing themselves into a corner on that because the pat down was not the offensively terrible part. Yeah, her making out with him was the offensively terrible part, and that happened in the second episode of the season. Mm-hmm. And I don't think they see that as a whole they've written themselves into. Mm. But I mean, her being irredeemably terrible is fine. Like that's fine for the show, as long as like they ever succeeded punishing her for it. That that's the part that, as much as I hate to say it, I I have doubts about. 
Especially because in the interview that um, Gore gave, he was like, you know, we want, whenever anyone enters our universe, we want them to stay around if they can. Yeah. And I mean, I liked Kira Sedgwick. I'm, I'm working my way through the closer right now. Did you watch that, Marissa? I didn't, actually. That's okay. Yes. It's it's pretty great. I'm not gonna lie. I I started watching it. Carl doesn't care because all I've done is talk about this show. But um, I love the. Closer. I don't actually know what the closer is about. It's, it's a cop show. But like, oh, okay. that's aren't all you. All, that's aren't all things. A little bit these days, yes. Basically, when I heard that she was being cast on Brooklyn Nine Nine, I was like, yes. I you know I was like, sweet. This is exciting, and I think. She's great, and if their dynamic wasn't so weird, I would totally want Wunch on more often, because, <laughs> you grackle. <laughs> like, the the lines that they just say at each other are so funny, and it's not just Andre Rara's deadpan delivery, like, it's right. this, yeah. Yeah, it, it is a tough situation, because it's, in some ways, it's so nice to see him, the, because he's so different with her than he is any other character. Like, in some ways, there's an element of sameness to the way he interacts with everyone. And if, and if one of his, of his co-workers, it's not, they are different dynamics, but there's an element, a sometimes very thin element of DNA that's similar, but with her, it's like it's a completely different character. You would not recognize him and his interactions with her with the man you see, with the exception of Andre's fantastic deadpan delivery. It's so different than anything else he has to do. So it's nice to with, see with him. With everyone else, he has a kind of. With everyone else, he has a kind of controlled superiority. Yes. Even um, his poor husband. Yeah. I mean, that is also a, a pretty different relationship because um, he's humbler with his husband than with other people. Yeah. I think. Yeah. No, I can certainly see that. But it's. But yeah, with. Of Malin, it's just a completely... He has no control over anything in any kind of capacity. And so it's fun to see someone who's so in control lose control at times. But yes, like you said, it's just it's such a complex situation they've written themselves into that how much realistically she can appear going forward is going to be interesting to see. The, the, in the show, they're explicitly noted as being, like, ex-partners and, like, his interactions with her. Like, we saw Holt repeatedly draw the, when I was younger, I was just like you, Jake, all brash and headstrong, and I changed everything about myself. Um, and and so when you see him with lunch, sometimes you see that, like, sort of, like, speak first, think later, like... Recklessness. Yeah, that Jakeness that Holt says he has that we only occasionally see. Jake wishes he had as good a burn as who wouldn't want to see a man fight a crocodile, though. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best burn I've heard in a really long time. You goat. <laughs> that was not as as good. No, but I loved Gina and Terry's like, ah, reaction. Yeah. P.S. Best hype squad in the squad is Terry and Gina together. No question. Um... Totally. I just wouldn't the best hype squad involve Boyle. I'll say, but yeah, Boyle was was very adorable with his excitement about Jake and Amy. So, <laughs> Speaking for the fandom, oh my god. Yeah, I mean, they're they're great hype squads in entirely different ways. We've done the hard work. We can talk about the a plot. <laughs> yes, a plot. Um, <laughs> which which really is fan fiction on TV, like, yeah, like. The, the fake dating trope, like, like they went for the three, 
like the the comedic rule of three and everything. They even did the like subversion at the end where it's like the first two weren't for real and the last one really was. That's a very fan fiction feeling. Yeah. What? I can't <laughs> tell how sarcastic you're being. No, no. That that is is um. That was a sincere statement. Oh uh, yeah. I mean. I mean, because of fan fiction, I knew what the plot of the episode was from the first like teaser picture of them holding hands. Like I was like, oh, they're fake dating for a case. <laughs> now they're going to be real dating by the end of the episode. And even like Goodbye, Castle. spoilers. God, and even Castle, which often wants to be fan fiction of itself, like did they did they ever do fake dating on Castle Marissa? I don't remember. Yeah, they their first kiss was an undercover technically uh, situation. They kissed for basically to not get caught by something. It's, it's so yes, yeah, they did the fake out makeout. Yeah, it's it's complete, and I mean it it happens in most. I feel like most procedurals. And certainly with so many will-they-won't-they they couples, they're very often the first kiss isn't like a real genuine, like, oh, I care for you, I have feelings for you kiss. It's a something has just gone terribly wrong and we're trying to save our lives or we're not ourselves <laughs> and we have to be this person or we're in an alternate universe. And so this is what's happening when your favorites aren't actually themselves. It's just your actors playing pretty people. I feel like there's been a lot of fan fiction on TV, essentially, lately. I feel like a lot of shows kind of... Which sound It sounds wrong because, obviously, these people are creating it. It is their own fiction, so it's technically not fan fiction, but it feels like a lot of plots seem like, oh, wait, I'm sure there, if you search on the internet, there's a fan fiction about this exact thing in 20,000 different places. Well, either way, <laughs> this 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 particular plotline is very fanfiction only because like it, it 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 it's something every procedural hits on eventually, but I usually or cop show, I guess, but like in this case, I didn't expect one, I didn't expect them to them to do it in like season 2. And two, I definitely did not expect it to be like the vector by which they figure their shit out. This shit isn't figured out. I mean, more figured out than it was before. Yes, that's true. Progress. Pro- this shit is very unfigured out. Progress is made. Yes. That's surprising because when Castle and Beckett did their fake out make out, it they just it, it they were didn't they get locked in a freezer? Like that ten happened, minutes later. That was a different episode, but it took them right. between before their first kiss and then them actually being a couple. It was like a season and a half. Um, yeah, and. You know, I what I will say is what gave me hope that this would... I love Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I, I love Jake and Amy, but as much as I love them, they're not... I know some fans will watch shows just for a main couple. I am not that way because I feel like it would drive me crazy. Yeah. But as much as I want them to want them to be together, I kind of had faith that it would happen sooner versus later in some capacity, just given the background of, of these guys who, I mean... Because they worked on parks. I mean, they've worked on The Office. Because these writers know not to fuck around and they genuinely go where relationships need to go versus needlessly stretching them out three, five, seven, ten years and just playing with that tension, they're letting... I mean, they might not stay together. Realistically, given who these two characters are, it'd be very plausible that they'll get together or and break up ten times because... You know, she's got some control issues and he's a man-child. And they work together. Realistically, they're probably not going to be in it for the rest of 
the series. But these writers have never been afraid to play with that dynamic in their previous work, so I was really hoping and pleasantly delighted that they actually went for it in the season two finale. Especially because this isn't a show that's on the bubble. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because they could have just they, done it They for had ratings. a third season locked in, and they, like, you know, I, I'm sure it could have been tempting to be like, oh, if we need to avoid cancellation, we can pull out the will they won't they, but, you know, the will they won't they fucking sucks. <laughs> I hate that plot line. It's just really done. Well, I mean, it was really done in cave painting days. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Although I thought I, that was, will they, will they catch the gazelle or whatever? <laughs> <laughs> they will. Or they'll start. And then they won't get to cave paint. Because painting sure. is a luxury. Yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting how, if you look at what shows were two decades ago versus what they are now, the patience for will they, won't they has gone down so, so drastically. And I think a lot of times writers now acknowledge that if the stories are compelling, yes, if two people are complicated they're not going to just get together in five minutes in television it makes sense to draw it out a little bit especially if they're friends if they know each other really well or if they work together there's a lot at stake but you don't need to drag it out as long as so many of the shows you know even in the early 2000s did like so many shows dragged things out forever i mean not to get super nerdy but i'm about to get super nerdy i mean it took seven seasons for Mulder and Scully to have an actual, real, significant kiss on X-Files. Spoiler alert, apologies if anyone, I guess, hasn't seen X-Files. I mean, yeah. I haven't seen X-Files, but it's fine. I apologize. I, no, <laughs> uh, I mean, don't, I mean, they kiss, they kiss in triangle, but that's not, not really right. her. And then right. they, and no. <laughs> yeah, and then in the hallway, the in the X-Files movie, they, they tried. No, they, and that's the thing, it's like, it took seven years for the two of them as them actually themselves and not to get interrupted by bees or an alternate universe like 1939 version situation for it to be actually them in this day and age you had a will they want they couple and they didn't kiss until season seven i feel like fans might burn twitter down like, i don't know <laughs> how but they find a way because they don't for better or worse they don't have patience anymore which in some ways is sad because in some ways the wait can be delightful, but at the same time, yeah, well, realistically, I mean, seven years is a long time. I am happy to blow Gabriel's trumpet signaling the end times of this, like, <laughs> seven-year, like, will-they-won't-they-bullshit, because pining after someone for seven years is an incredibly emotionally unhealthy decision. It's exhausting. Like- it's exhausting, <laughs> and it ties up at least one person by being totally fixated on someone who probably isn't that into them. And, like, I mean, the most will-they-won't-they couple that I've ever seen is, like, Ross and Rachel. That's an enormously emotionally unhealthy relationship at every stage. (laughs) By design, but I I don't think they knew that. They thought that will-they-won't-they is, like, cute and romantic and the struggles and whatever. No! (laughs) You know, nine times out of ten, if you don't end up dating someone, then you don't date them. And you move on with your life, Right. Yeah, right. well, I mean, pining is cute for, like, a while, but yeah. when there's no... There's I a mean, statute of limitations on that shit. <laughs> I yeah. mean, it's true. I and mean, it's something, yeah. if you're grown, if you're adults, this, again, sounds mean to other TV shows, but nah. it's it's something where if, if you're going to have an open and honest relationship at some point, 
if you're not gonna you know alienate the audience by throwing in a dozen love interests who mean nothing essentially and that's always a, a dangerous thing if you're having a central world they want by couple and then you're just throwing in random love interests who the audience knows not to get invested in there's only so many ways you can play that card I mean and there's so many other shows that are willing to take the chance these days to actually see what a relationship is like that maybe they won't stick around with you so it's nice that whether they're a couple whether they're you know awkward secret relationship whether they're you know trying to deny their feelings for other six episodes or whatever they're at least they've acknowledged the feelings they've acknowledged so much already yeah. in the show and also they acknowledged it with an accent which i feel <laughs> might be a first i was i can't think of any other will they won't they couple where they've admitted feelings like that and then did it with an accent in, in the fucking jamaican accent <laughs> well but all he says is that made me feel really bad that really bummed me out yeah mom. yeah well and then after that after that he's like look i want it i mean so, so in my my notes, I was saying that like I think the thing that saves this very fan fiction plotline from sort of collapsing in on its own fan fictionness is the fact that they're so honest with each other, and and that that feels very real for both characters based on sort of what what's been happening in their lives, right? Like, yeah. like Jake had that very intense, short lived thing with Sophia. And and it was I mean fuck I loved Eva Longoria and I loved Jake and Sophia's entire everything, um, but like you said like I knew I couldn't get too attached to her. A, also, because, but also that relationship was never built to last. Yeah, they were they were avoiding talking about important things from pretty much day one. Yeah, I mean they right. couldn't talk to each other about their jobs because they hated what each other did. And Jake's entire That's life how is it's his built job. on sand to get biblical on this shit. Whoa, you brought out the big guns. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um but but like I I I and like Amy's thing with Teddy falls apart because he's a boring motherfucker. Also because she couldn't admit to herself that she was dating someone she didn't want. Yeah. Like right. Teddy makes that choice for her. Teddy's like you don't actually want to be with me. You want to be with him. <laughs> yeah. Which I mean. we agreed, but still. I don't know if you want to be right. with him right then. No, but like, but like every time Jake said, Teddy, well, Teddy no, says that every thing, time. The thing I'm pushing back on here is I think it was bullshit of Teddy to make that be what them breaking up was about. Because the real reason they're breaking up is because he's a boring motherfucker. <laughs> no disagreements. Yeah. yeah I that's... mean, that was an instability. But if that's an instability you can't overcome, sorry, buddy, you might be a boring motherfucker. <laughs> Yeah, it's not that I have more interesting like hobbies than Teddy. <laughs> we're all boring in our own way, Carl. Yeah. Listen, you're ta- you were literally sitting next to a person who started a Brooklyn Nine Nine podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I find that delightful. Life- I'm sorry. I find that delightful. So that's not boring. Oh, thank you. Well, I mean, <laughs> that's like becoming a public personage. This is different from home brewing. <laughs> That's true. Home brewing is is creating a worthless product for ten times the amount of money it would take to buy it. Because <laughs> I have a very I have a very reliable coworker who also <laughs> home brews, and he can make his choices. Actually, he's the best. Um. So so the undercover stuff. I because I I feel like like yeah I love their emotional honesty, but like I I do want to say that like 
One thing I thought was really interesting about the undercover plotline and like their characters is I feel like Amy's driving the car most of the time. Well, she decided they're going to be under undercover as like just got engaged. Um, and she's the one who kisses him on the cheek. Um, the exception is that, you know, he does make out with her. Like, he does start <laughs> that ball rolling. Um, Opens the door to kissing. But after, uh, on the day when he was like, look, the reason I was a little uncomfortable partnering up with you on this one is because I have feelings for you and I was thinking of asking you out and we can't. And then she's like, we can't do that. After that, she's like, oh, we're engaged. I kissed you on the cheek. So, like, she definitely provides most of the forward impetus. And is, yeah. Well, even at dinner, he's like, her, like, face. Face and attached physique. <laughs> yeah. And then she brings a real answer. Yeah, she she says, he makes me laugh. And in, like, a real voice. Like, she's driving... The, the sincerity. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, and... and and I think it was somebody somebody in our like listenership pointed out that that normally Jake's the one who's like building elaborate undercover personas and everything. Yeah. And this time it's entirely like Amy's oh, decision making that That's a good point. That does all these things. That like she's the one who's like, We're engaged, we're undercover, you know, this is Johnny. <laughs> I was dating a cop troll a handsome cop troller from a major US city. To be fair, he started which, it. Which one, yes. Amy? Waco, Texas? P.S. I love that the Mark is super interested in their, like, life story and how they got together. Mostly the Mark side piece. Yeah, yeah. but he's, like, listening attentively. And then at the end, at the... While, when... wa- while watching my fiancé kept saying, they're so lucky she's dumb. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, I, but I like that because it's consistent with the last time they were, like, fake undercover couple. And they were like, uh... <laughs> Uh, Susan, right, <laughs> with the ring, yeah. and like the, the two guys that they set up. Oh yeah, so they've been they've been uh, fake engaged twice now. Yeah, uh, technically three times if you go with the Boyle and Eddie wedding proceedings. Mm. <laughs> oh. She just put the ring on. Yeah, him. yeah, but that's she literally put a ring on it. This... She liked it that much. <laughs> this is the second time they professed this to witnesses. <laughs> Always criminals, but. <laughs> saying i love the like ongoing motif of criminals being way too invested in jake and amy's fake relationships yes like i really hope that that's a deliberate choice that continues on till the end of the show they're adorable how are you not (laughs) it's true well like when they get sincere you see what uh, the dumb one like she starts to light up too she's like aw yeah um She's but, got she just got giant hands. Good for me on such hands of a behemoth. And Amy is the reason that works. She starts laughing because she just said he makes her laugh. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. My favorite my favorite laugh line this episode is uh, You're under arrest, we are colleagues. This is a work event. <laughs> That was amazing. I wonder how many takes it took them to get through that because I just the the way I can't they said it. Not crack me up. I mean, I would have been on like if I was on that set, I would have been losing it, which is why I, I you know I can never be on a crew. But it's something where you know there are times when you're I because I've been on sets before for comedies and it's always hard when people are super funny because either you're seeing them crack up 
or you're trying not to crack up if they're doing their job correctly. It's just, I can't imagine how they got through so much of this episode. Like, when when Boyle is getting so excited, like, <laughs> I would have been laughing in Joe's face. I would have been like, what? No. How am I supposed to do anything professional when you're talking like this? Well, he does the, like, what? <laughs> he's like a teen girl. He basically turns into a teen girl in that moment, and it's delightful. It's, it's so beautiful. Yeah. I mean, he, he turns into the fandom, and yeah. for better or for worse, fandom is often characterized as a 15-year-old girl. Totally. I, I'm on Rose's side of the fandom, though. <laughs> Call me when you <laughs> grab each other's asses. Yes. Fair enough. Okay. <laughs> um, I mean, Fair. Yeah. I mean, it is, it is a network comedy, and though I guess Mindy Project had ass-grabbing, so we never know. Maybe season three. <laughs> I mean, I, I know you're, that, that's your favorite. My favorite laugh line is still, come on, hate you. <laughs> come on, hate you is also great. <laughs> Does, his face doesn't change. His face doesn't change. He, I think he does kind of feel... His face, re- his face reflects his weakening position. <laughs> but, like, just, like, Joe Latrigo plays that just, like, head tilt, like, come on, Rosa. Come on, hey, you. Just, like, can't. He, cho- he chooses hey, you instead of the <laughs> I also really liked I just want Lorelai to be happy. Oh my god. Yes, that was... That was too I don't, real. I say, I admittedly have only seen one episode of Gilmore Girls, but that's such a TV fan thing to have happen, and the fact that he knew that about her was just so adorable, and she like her guard went down for like a half second, and then she just got so mad. I'm like, oh, that that is that is what fans are. Stephanie Beatrice has started to show her range of comedic facial expressions in the show, and I'm really into it. Like, uh, her excited voice that makes you think that you're dying. <laughs> or about to die. It's like the colorful, like, it's like a rock octopus. Nothing that bright can let you survive. <laughs> I want to talk about all three kisses because I'm that person. But specifically, I wanted to talk about how all, like, the blocking and details for the blocking are really on point. Like, in the first one, you see Amy's hands kind of flutter. Mm. And then, like, and then like settle. And in the second one, uh, like, you were saying, like, how are they not laughing? Like, Jake, like, takes a second. He, he comes out second. And you, you see her pull away first, and he's like, whoa. It's like... <laughs> we're not kissing now? <laughs> yeah, he's, like, totally stunned. Like We're in a park. <laughs> My thing about the second kiss is, like, before, before uh, Amy goes it, she's like... Yeah, this is happening. Yep. And I think she's like, well, we're just going to keep kissing until something happens. Whoops. Uh, but the third kiss, like, the blocking for that is so great. Because, like, I don't know, just like, so thanks to the, we live in a world of animated GIF everything, right? So, <laughs> like, you get the you get the ability to, like, frame by frame break everything down if you want to. If he wants to. I definitely did. Look, I, you know what? It wasn't even me who made the gift set of every fucking detail. It was someone else. <laughs> every gift set. God bless. <laughs> I love the internet. And, but like every, they like. just let us see a lot of fictional people making out. <laughs> in, on loop until the heat death of the universe. It's my favorite thing. <laughs> okay. But like, re- really, the, the third kisses, like, physical details are so great. Like, seriously, like. 
And I'm going to sound super creepy and terrible, so if this starts getting weird, Marissa, just cut me off. Cause okay. I Feels pretty weird. <laughs> but, like, okay, so we see... The biggest, like, thing for me is just that, like, you see her move in when he moves in, too. And, and that's such, like, a nice little... There's been a lot of mutuality. Yeah, because the, the first one was him making the move, and then the second was her, right? Yeah. yeah. So seeing them come together is, like, one, like, nice, like, really great detail. Mm-hmm. That needed to be the way it went. Yeah. I, my only regret is that I feel like we see a lot more of his expressions than hers, and it's been driving me crazy that we don't get as much of her perspective on on them. Hmm. Maybe this will be the thing it takes for her to actually say something about them. Nah, <laughs> never. She will be an enigma until the day we die. <laughs> the thing I really liked about that scene is how well it uses silence. Because, like, it's... it's ve- Like, this is, like, the third scene in a row that in, in this episode, by the time we get to the third kiss, that it's just been totally silent. Like, in the like in the scene. Like, there's no background music. There's not even, like, sting, sting noises or anything. Like, it's just silence. And this one was a particularly nice use of that because the other two are sort of underlined by like background noise or whatever and then this and and like sort of the accoutrement of like them being undercover so this being like just them and the silence is it's a nice like from a from a film like technique perspective it's really nice because we get like a medium shot in silence and that's just it that that's the focus yeah is them yeah Uh, no i mean and that's I feel like that was something else we did for the Office season two finale when Pam and Jim kissed. I feel like there was <sighs> also silence there too, especially in that fight when when he came back up to the office and was speaking to her, and then kissed her in the office. Oh no! When he came up, there I think there was silence in the parking lot. The way he came up and kissed her in the office, I feel like there was silence a lot there. And I think that's a really smart television move that's done because I feel like I love composers. I love the music that's done in TV. There's some of the best, I think, composers in the industry are doing TV work. But I feel like also mm-hmm. part of that brilliance is knowing when silence is necessary and when you just have to let the, the moment speak for itself beyond anything that you could do or bring to it. And so, yeah, it's a really great point about the silence and kind of just letting the uncomfortableness and the change of, of what just happened to them be there versus like, putting like a heartfelt score behind them as they're kissing for themselves for the first time it's just them as they're in this new world essentially yeah yeah exactly and like even even the camera angles aren't too tight on their faces like it's it's both like giving the audience distance like in a physical sense as well as just like letting us enjoy them letting it happen letting that moment happen between them you know yeah yeah and i and i like and i know i keep saying this or keep drawing the comparison but like i know like when castle and beckett finally like kiss like for real for real you know that that song was playing and and that song kind of becomes their song and and it was a beautiful moment but that wouldn't have worked with this couple here no certainly not in this circumstance like yeah exactly and i mean like and silence wouldn't have worked for castle and beckett either Right. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, I mean, like we we hear them, like take the breath and like l- like linger in that moment before Boyle knocks on the door. Boyle. 
So, so yeah. Uh, but but the other scene that uses silence to really excellent effect is Holt's speech. That is that is totally silent. And so, Marissa, we're here. We did all the hard work. Now we can feel pain again. <laughs> I, I, we are I allowed by the federal government. I it is my heart. Uh, I if you could see me, just imagine me like basically putting my head on top of my computer and just like I just uh, Andre Brower is a national treasure. And I know you guys are talking in the last uh, podcast about the Emmy situation and that a lot of times the laugh out loud moments is what gets you that Emmy win and oftentimes like the nomination even. I was talking with someone from Fox and I'm like, I really wish in some ways this had been a bigger episode for him because he had great moments but it wasn't probably the natural Emmy one you'd give because that final scene, that speech is so incredible and some of the best work he's done the entire series that I just wish everyone could see him and just like give him all the Emmys. Like just give them all to him. He is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> rip the, actor rip in a the drama. best actor to drama Emmy right of out of some all motherfucker's of hand. All of them. Does he already have one for Homicide, actually? I, I believe, yeah, I believe he does. Yeah. yeah. I just well. give him everything. Give him, you know, sound mixing, everything. Give him all. Give him all. all. Sound mixing, daytime care. Emmy yeah, for best comedic them. short. All of them. All of them. <laughs> I just, that's, he is so good in it. It's something where... Andre is so good in this role that it's become unnerving to see him in person because he's not this character. And so when mm-hmm. he smiles at you, you're like, what's going on? <laughs> what have I done wrong? And so it's just, I think a lot of people, when they play the deadpan person, don't get enough credit. Like, I think Andre at least has his entire career to kind of vouch for him. But I, I feel like a lot of actors who kind of don't have the big showy characters get undersold a lot as kind of not having to do a lot but when you see the changes he's going through in that final scene and you're kind of changing the tone of his voice I mean come on come on <laughs> it's so I mean, good my my notes go meet more zeep sobbing oh my god god like this this episode was full of pilot callbacks but that one hurt so much yeah that wasn't fair no. That hurts so much. Oh, God. And, like, you know what kills me? Like, seriously, you know what kills me? I was um, I was uh, chatting with one of the camera guys um, for from Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and he said, that was a lighter take. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, my, my brain kind of exploded. I was like, what was the dark take like? What was the, like, heavy take People like? Died. Oh, my God. No. Like, Andy Samberg is now played by a stunt double. <laughs> the role of Andy Samberg will now be played by. <laughs> well, he might be with the Lonely Island movie filming. But yeah, no. I just, I feel like that scene was so well handled. It was like such a great payoff to the arc these characters have had together for the two seasons. I will also admit to making the robot sounds to someone when I was... And I was embarrassed the moment they came out of my mouth after I watched that episode. I'm like, what did you just do? Because, I mean, even Andre Brower sounds ridiculous doing it, which he's supposed to, but it's like, I as a human should never make those sounds. <laughs> but I was so emotionally compromised after it. I had to say that, and it was terrifying. Um, 
and I just it'll be interesting to see how everyone moves on from this because obviously they'll have to be changed in some respects like is someone going to kind of step up to fill that role like is someone going to be the whole test figure in their life while he's gone like what's is he going to be different in his new job like what's going to happen I just I want the game back together but at the same time I'm really curious to see where they go and what they do with this new change up even if it's traumatizing, which I imagine it will be a little bit traumatizing. I suspect, well, because of the new person's arrival and their unfamiliarity with that person, and they'll, they'll have to be an insane person. That, what was it you said, Carl, like right after the episode? They have to be someone that we can be fired, have fired at a moment's notice. Yeah, yeah. Some, someone who, like, will always have a reason to be fired. I, given that, given, that's not necessarily true, but, like, just... I, I, I like that, and I... It's not necessarily the way, the way they go with it. Like, that's the person they have to bring in if... Either that or someone who's going to get promoted out of that position. Yeah. Like, someone who's way too qualified to be there. Like... Yeah. No, we either need Leslie Nope or Bobby Newport. I don't know who Bobby Newport is, but we either need... <laughs> we either need Leslie Nope or Dave Majors, is what I'm saying. What if it's Dave Majors? It's Garrett not Dave Majors. Dave but- Majors... Dave Majors will never, ever leave the field. Probably not, no. I love Dave Majors, actually. He's so great. Garrett Dillahunt, I think, be like by being on this show, suddenly became this like huge like Brooklyn Nine-Nine super fan. Yeah. Like, he follows the tr- tag every uh, Sunday, and like he's like he's like favor- he's like stealth favoriting all these tweets about the show how do you stealth favorite something well like i mean like do it by favoriting it i mean yes but like real quiet I have like I have a, no there, there's no there's no way to make like, the favorite not, make a sound well you know what i mean like he's not like talking if about someone favorites in the forest people still hear it because <laughs> it sends a notification to their phone i see i have a campaign against her the use of the word stealth because she really does not know how to use the word stealth. <laughs> I, I understand both sides of this argument. But you were talking about Detective Dave Major. Um, well, I, actually, that was who I was... I wondered if he was going to be who stepped out of the elevator. And I really, as someone who completely loves so much of what Garrett has done, like, I loved Raising Hope, covered that so much. I was so excited when he got on Brooklyn. And, you know, he was fantastic on Justified recently. I was kind of hoping he would step out of there, but since he's also so busy, I was like, realistically, I wonder if that's possible. Another option I was thinking about in terms of not even a, a person that a type, the captain, I don't know if either of you guys watched Grey's Anatomy, but back in the day, like ser- like season two back in the day, um, one of the characters was on maternity leave, and they best basically kept running off supervisors because no one could deal with the, peop- the group of people, so I kind of wonder yeah. if they're going to get a captain who just cannot handle these guys, who just cannot handle Scully and Hitchcock, and who cannot handle Terry and his excitement, who cannot handle Amy and her desperate need to please everyone. It just And Jake and his likely causing trouble for whomever is their new person. I just, I wonder if that's going to be Someone who's scared of Rosa and... I mean, and and who's too creeped out by Boyle? Yes, exactly. Um, I, I don't know. I because I mean, obviously at this point they're still in the process of writing things, but I'm very mm-hmm. curious to see if that's which direction because there are multiple directions they can 
plausibly taken until they bring Hulk back into the mix. The thing is, so it's very likely to be someone who's loyal to Wunch. Yeah. Um, so it's more likely to be Dolores Umbridge than Leslie Nope, I think. <laughs> um, if you know what I mean. Yes. Uh, so I, I think we're more likely to have a kind of, like, guerrilla warfare first half of third season than a, like, oh, what a great, fun new captain, but you're not our real dad. <laughs> I, and I was going to say earlier was that I think we'll get a glimpse of what McGin- like life under McGinley was like. Mm. When, when they have no respect for their captain, yeah. Mm-hmm. And Terry is basically the reason the ship isn't sinking. I mean, it's but, sinking, but, at but this slower. Point, Terry is probably also in revolt. <laughs> totally. God, by the way, Terry in this episode basically got to do a lot of pantomime. Because, like... <laughs> He's silently trying to break open the I file box. I love that scene. That's, he just takes the whole thing. It's so beautiful. It's so they. This is probably the first time in a while I feel like they used Terry Crews to his full potential. Because they made him carry something. No, because he like he like <laughs> he, he did everything. <laughs> he I'm like, surprised that 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 he could Terry have, Jeffords doesn't know how to lockpick. Yeah, because doesn't don't Jake and Amy know how to do that? And Rosa for sure. Yeah, uh, they definitely do. I assume that he just always broke things. I was gonna say I don't know how Terry was was able to pick up the file cabinet, but not just pull the drawer hard enough to break the lock. Well, there's an internal frame. All right, fine. Logic. And it's hard, you, there's harder to get a fulcrum. Like he was trying to <laughs> use a ruler. It wasn't strong enough. He needs a crowbar. Um. But yes. Uh. The the I I think Terry. We'll see again. Like it, uh, a semblance of what. The like quasi anarchy that was McGinley's captaincy pre season one, right? Like yeah. I think we'll see what that was like a little bit in the first part of season three, and and that I'm actually kind of interested in because like I'm imagining they're gonna have like Jimmy Jab games the quarter quell. <laughs> Hunger Games reference, really? Yeah, I've seen the Hunger Games. No, so no, I was at the Hunger Games. Think, well, I'm glad, but I was just really surprised we we brought out Hunger Games. Why? I mean, okay. <laughs> I don't have a reason no, so Good. I guess I stand Good. sit corrected. Um, them and your feelings. I um my my money's on new captain, um maybe being an SNL alum because one they really they, they need people who are funny, right? Um and a lot of those people are like like can you imagine like Kevin Neal? Uh, Neil? Neilan? What's his name? Neilan. I don't know who this person is at all. Kevin Neilan. Uh, yeah, thank you. Kevin, can you imagine, like, Kevin Neilan as, like, the harried, unrespected, like, like, oh, everyone go away kind of boss? Um, like, there's there's plenty of people from, from Saturday Night who, who could actually be this character. Yeah, I, um, I was d- certainly thinking, I was, when that, when they didn't reveal the person... And I know they haven't cast the person yet. I was wondering, is it going to be someone from Parks? Is it going to be someone from SNL? Or is it going to be someone who's, like, super tight in, like... I wondered, like, are they going to get, like, Timberlake? Or, like, what's going to happen that's going to be so <gasps> ridiculous? Oh, my God! JT! They're not going to get Timberlake for a TV show. JT! Listen, I'm... they got Brad Pitt for Friends. They can... Well, they got everyone for Friends. But they yeah. got a bunch of people who weren't necessarily everyone yet. 
I am surprised that Bruce Willis was there for like three consecutive episodes. I'm always surprised that they got something like that. But they, yeah, like, they had like they had like, John Favreau. They, they had, had George Clooney. Yeah, I mean, and no, but that was because of NBC. Yes. Yeah. They not, had all these people. They had of Susan NBC. Sarandon well before she was needing to do television. Uh, yeah, Friends had a lot of guest stars, and I mean, I I think I don't know if someone like, for instance, Justin Timberlake would do television for any show, but I think given the relationship to Andy, there's certainly a possible... I think Andy, by himself, and Terry are conduits that a lot of these people might do a favor for if it's a couple of episodes. It's not like you're asking them to do a 12-episode arc. Or maybe they are. I don't know. It's not like you're asking them to do 22 episodes, I'd imagine, at the very least. There's certainly room there. The thing is, whoever the captain is will have to do a a block of, of episodes. Because yes. while the captain it has not been replaced by Holt, they will be in every episode. Yes. Um, Probably for like seven episodes, yeah. At, like, yeah, like I, w- I would call that a low estimate. So, like, a busy person is much less likely to be able to take that on. I think it, it yes, I totally agree. I don't think they're going to get, like, Chris, probably not Chris Pratt. Um, but realistically... Maybe it'll be the vulture. <laughs> that would be... <laughs> Horrifically amazing. I mean, Andre Brower used to be, like, a major cinematic actor. He did Glory. He's done a bunch of stuff. He's, yeah. like, very prestigious. I know I know. we talk a lot about, like, about... We, we were just talking about how, like, Andy and Terry have a lot of connections that could bring people in because of the nature of their work. And certainly Terry Crews did, worked with, like, you know, he did the expen- ex- Expendables. Which means he worked with 150 actors. <laughs> yeah. And in just story. that movie. <laughs> and... and and I and the Lonely Island have gotten a lot of really cool people, but maybe it'll be T Pain. <laughs> but I also maybe it'll be the QE too. I also don't. <laughs> I also don't want to discount Andre Brower's ability True. to bring in some serious, heavy hitting star power based on the projects that he's done in the past. That's true. He's he. I feel like someone like Sandberg has some of the more flashy names, but in terms of quality actors. Andre probably has the upper hand there in terms of just the prestige that he's worked with in his career. He's, he's been working steadily for decades and has just been so solid and had some of the best co-stars possible. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I straight up was like, oh, glory. But, like, also, I mean, he's done... He, he did, um... He, he did, uh... The, the Stephen King miniseries, The Mist. Yes. And, and, uh... And, and there's some great actors in that, and he's done, I mean, like, exactly like you said, he's got this m- extensive resume of work that could really be pulled from. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Meet Mark Zeep sobbing. I just, it's the best. It's the best thing, and it makes me want to rewatch the pilot every time I hear those noises. And it makes me want to say things, but I try not to repeat it because, no, it's embarrassing. <laughs> really, really embarrassing. No, I'm pretty sure I can I can quote the pilot verbatim, like, start to finish. Like, I hate that I know that about myself, but I probably can. I mean, okay. I mean, he says, robot captain engage, and that's what triggers him saying me form seep. The- go, go back to robot captain. <laughs> yeah, go back to robot captain. <laughs> and the amazing thing about that joke is that, like... Robot captain is never who Holt was. That was yeah. always a dumb joke that... that that Jake was making to avoid having to learn about this person who was being hard on him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like, yeah. 
No. It's great. Stop it, Carl! You're showing me gifts! No! No! I already cried! I'm not allowed to cry anymore. Oh no! I don't know if that's how the law works, Arthi. <laughs> but I'm not that up on local, like, regulations. Um. <laughs> I think we should wind this down. Yeah, I was gonna say, Marissa, do you have any plugs or do you want any, do you want to promote anything or send people to, like, your Twitter or your site or whatever? Sure, I mean, if you guys want to see what I have to say about all of TV, and I do love me some Brooklyn Nine-Nine, my Twitter account is Marissa Rothman, it's M-A-R-I-S-A-R-O-F-F, it's in Frank, M-A-N, and I run GiveMeMyRemote.com, and love a lot of TV, and yeah, Brooklyn Nine-Nine has always been fun to write about, because these guys are just so great, and it's such a great show, and I truly just appreciate what the heck they're doing, it's, it sounds simple, because you would think that most shows would try to do it, but they they found themselves so early, and they've stayed true to that versus trying to be everything and anything, which hopefully will serve them really well long term. So it makes me happy. So I'm glad I'm glad I have people to talk about the show with because it makes me very happy, and I get really excited when I watch. Well, and I love. I know for me, I one of the things I love about Give Me My Remote, and this is not just me, like lip service. I genuinely love that you ask great questions when you get to have the cast like talk to you, like on red carpet or whatever. Like you ask really great questions, and you often ask the questions that I'm thinking, like, "Oh, I wish people would ask this." Thank you. That, that is genuinely my favorite thing to hear because it's. I'm a fan of TV. Like if I wasn't a fan, it would be a a waste of access because so many people who love TV don't get to do what I do and to waste that with stupid questions that sounds mean but to waste it with questions that are not respectful of them and of what they're doing feels rude like they're they they are putting out a product the very least I can do is talk to them about it in the way I mean I as a fan genuinely want to know things because I'm a nerd and I'm totally okay with that but at the same time it's I like talking to them about their work which I know it's not always what people do so I like talking about TV with people who make TV. It makes me happy. I I feel like the actors also appreciate it because I'm sure they get asked like the same five questions over and over. Yeah. No, I say, I, I've definitely been told before by some actors who can very much tell when people don't watch their show because, I mean, <laughs> realistically, if you have a boss who's making you cover something that you don't watch, you have to do what you have to You're do. You're going to ask but... the same boring question. Yeah, and so... <laughs> actors apparently can tell when you don't actually genuinely watch their show and so I've heard that more than once they're like oh you actually watch our show that's great and I'm like yes I wouldn't be wasting your time if I didn't that just feels rude to both of us it's sad yeah I mean I it's fascinating but I cover television junkets which are very much similar things and so I have mm-hmm. empathy for both sides because I understand if you're sitting in a chair and being asked the same types of questions for six hours is boring but at the same time for us we know there are certain things you have to ask about any project like mm-hmm. when I talk to these guys for Brooklyn 99 season 3 you're going to have to if you watch the show everyone's going to be asking about the impact of Holt leaving etc and so they're going to be asked that but at the same time you can also ask questions that are genuinely about their characters and their journey if you watch the show versus just so let's talk about anything like it's 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 the difference between trying to not be this you don't want to ever end up with the same interview that everyone else has because 
a lot of people will just give you the same quotes over and over again. Like, I've, it's always the worst thing when you see someone who's repeated the same thing to every single person because they're just getting asked the same question that's so generic that they can plug it in when they have to because if they find an answer that works, why not? Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, a soundbite's a soundbite, right? If you're yeah. the one giving it. <laughs> right, and it, it makes it easier for them. I completely get that. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's an interesting situation, but yeah, I like I like talking to people about TV shows. <laughs> I, yeah. I genuinely like it, so I'm glad that you like the questions. I'm always glad that people are actually interested in the answers too, because I'm a nerd and I like talking about TV. <laughs> well, and plus, you guys always get those like we, you and I have talked a bit about like the spoiler pictures, like the behind the scenes yeah. and the preview pictures. Like you often have them first, and or mm-hmm. have them up first that I see them in the tag. So that's that's awesome. Yeah. I, I, as someone who loves TV, that kind of stuff fascinates me. So whenever I see them, I always try to do that because it's fun. It is. Like, I mean, so for, like, this episode, for example, like, there's there's definitely a scene that got cut. Like, you could tell from the preview pics because yeah. you see her feeding him oysters at one point, and that didn't make it to air. Yeah. It's, it's always fascinating what ends up being released and what doesn't because there have certainly been, for instance, even in, like, teasers like the the 30 second or 6 second promos where you see like scenes or dialogue that never makes it to air and it's always it's always interesting to see who picks up on that and who doesn't and yeah like the, the behind the scenes stuff I like that a lot of times you can see the crew because one of the best things not to get too off topic but one of the best things about my job is that when I'm I you know I go to dozens of sets per year more probably realistically and so I get to see how many people it takes to make a show I get to see how much effort it takes to do a six-second shot. It could be taking three hours because they need to get everything right. And people just don't necessarily, because they don't have the framework to really comprehend how many people it takes to make a show. They don't see the process of taking the editing room or that kind of stuff. So I feel like whenever you can showcase the work, even just beyond the writers, directors, and actors, it's always great to see the family that really it takes to be able to create the shows that everyone loves. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a great note to end it on. Yeah. Yep. To end the season on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Marissa, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you guys yeah. for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, we, I'm really glad that, like, you and I finally got to make this work, because I've definitely yes. been like, let's hang out and talk, because I know how much you like the show. No, I do, and it's been, it's been arguably the craziest year of my career because I've been I think I went on 12 work trips in less than a year which doesn't seem like a lot but a lot of them were like a week long for like 10 shows and it just it ended up being I was home so rarely (laughs) this year which made also it's part of why the Hulu suit was so horrendously long but I'm so I'm so glad we got to do this because yeah it was a lot of fun and I love the show and I'm so glad we got to chat about such a big episode we had a lot of things to talk about yeah yeah and uh and and i mean you did the great write-up too so that helps so much thank you from all of us to all of you yeah uh this has been back in the field my name is arthi my name is carl thanks for listening and we'll see you next week bye everyone